KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, March 4th. A closer look at how hospitals waive limits on how many patients nurses could care for. We'll have that next, just after the headlines. People with vaccination appointments for second doses will be prioritized at San Diego County vaccination sites as a vaccine shortage persists. The county made the announcement on Wednesday. The shortage is being caused by a delay in Moderna shipments due to bad weather in the U.S. a few weeks ago, as well as an ongoing shortage of the Pfizer vaccine. A San Diego Superior Court judge on Wednesday denied a request from restaurants and gyms seeking to reopen indoor business operations at a 25 percent capacity. Businesses allege that restaurants and gyms account for a small percent of COVID-19 cases, but have been unduly penalized. They also allege that restrictions on businesses have driven people together at home where proper precautions are not being taken. The judge rejected both of those arguments. An investigation is underway into the healthcare company One Medical over reports that it gave vaccines to people who were not eligible to receive them. That's according to the City News Service. One Medical is based in San Francisco, but it does business in Carlsbad, downtown San Diego, and La Jolla. The company denies the allegations. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Hospitalizations from the coronavirus in California skyrocketed around the holidays. And when staffing at hospitals couldn't keep up, the state let hospitals put more patients on a nurse's workload than the law usually allows. In the first of a two-part series, KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento tells us how nurses felt pushed to the brink by the move and questioned whether it was even necessary. It's been a long year for nurse George Santiago. Multiple code blues in one shift. That really drains you. Santiago's job is to rush toward those calls as a rapid response nurse at Palomar Medical Center, Escondido. And he carries the extra burden of often being a patient's last contact. If this was my family member and there's nothing I can do, yeah, the, the desperation, the hopelessness, that's, that is what kind of 
That's what kind of kills you. The weight grew heavy during the late 2020 surge. Palomar received state permission to stray from a landmark law that limits the amount of patients under a nurse's care. Staff could now be asked to take on one to two additional patients. Here, why don't you carry this pile of bricks while you're trying to tread water? You know, so that's the equivalent. Palomar is one of more than 200 California facilities that received temporary staffing waivers during the pandemic. Governor Gavin Newsom expedited the waiver process when COVID-19 patients skyrocketed late last year, but staffing did not. These nurses in particular that are just doing heroic work every single day, asking yet again for a little bit more during these very challenging, challenging next few weeks. The state health department declined an interview, but said in an email, waivers should be a last resort. The waiver application says hospitals should exhaust alternatives before seeking one. But the state said in its email that facilities actually don't need to. And a KPBS iNews source analysis of publicly posted waivers found dozens of approved facilities did not document they attempted the listed alternatives before seeking the waiver. You know, the process is easy. The process can be approved in as little as eight hours, <laughs> and then there you go. Stephanie Roberson leads government relations for the California Nurses Association. She says under the expedited process, a staffing waiver could be granted in less than a day. The union has protested against the waivers, including at Palomar. Roberson says they've successfully contested three of the at least 43 waivers that have been rescinded in the state. We're saying on the ground, we're looking at your at your form. And number one, you haven't checked any of the remedies. The application form asks hospitals what other options they've tried. That includes transferring patients to other beds, rescheduling elective procedures, and possibly setting up clinics for non-emergency cases. The KPBSI News Source Review found about half of approved hospitals did not report they tried all options, including some in San Diego. To be quite frank, it's, it's just a formality. Most local facilities that received waivers declined or ignored requests for interviews. But Santiago says the waiver didn't need to happen at Palomar. The facility laid off more than 300 staffers when patient tallies dropped last April. Most of which, of course, we can't get back now because... Uh, they're not going to hang around. They're, they're going to look for other um, sources uh, of income. Applications ask if hospitals experienced layoffs within the last two months. The Palomar layoffs were several months before Santiago says the Escondido facility applied. However, the details of its application are not posted on the state's website. But Santiago says the Escondido facility did not cancel elective procedures before getting its waiver. Which was even more difficult for the recovery room nurses because you know, they have their load of people that they have to recover for surgery, from surgery, and then they have to handle, you know, uh, COVID patients too. Santiago says the union filed a grievance because Palomar did not communicate with them before getting a waiver. Palomar refused requests for an interview, but a spokesman previously said claims of unsafe working conditions were inaccurate and called them appalling and irresponsible. All expedited waivers were due to expire last month, but at least 84 hospitals received extensions until the state provides additional staffing resources. Coming up tomorrow, a local hospital shares why they needed a waiver. We had over 500 patients within our hospitals with COVID. That's five times more than what we had earlier in the year. That's in part two. That was KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento. This story was co-reported by iNewsource investigative reporter Jill Castellano. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS.
There's new information out on Tuesday's deadly crash in Imperial County that took more than a dozen lives. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman has the latest. Federal officials say before an SUV packed with 25 people collided with a semi-truck, it came through a hole in the U.S.-Mexico border barrier about 30 miles from the crash. Border Patrol officials say they have surveillance video showing that SUV and another vehicle illegally entering the country in this area. Agents arrested the occupants of the other vehicle and say no one was pursuing the SUV before it crashed near El Centro. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement officials now say this is a human smuggling investigation. It's unfortunate that that number of people were, were put into that vehicle. Twelve people, including the driver who the CHP says is from Mexicali, died at the scene. The semi-truck driver had moderate injuries and one other person died at a nearby hospital, while survivors with the worst trauma were airlifted to San Diego. Four patients were taken to UC San Diego Medical Center in Hillcrest, while two were brought to Scripps Mercy Hospital. Today, UCSD health officials are reporting that the four patients in their care are in serious condition and receiving treatment for a variety of traumatic injuries. We have been able to identify 10 uh, people of uh, Mexican origin who were deceased in the accident. Investigators are working with the Mexican consulate to identify everyone involved. So far, we've been able to contact six of the uh, of the ten families of the of the deceased people, and uh, we provided them information about uh, the accident. Uh, some of the families are in Mexico. Some of them are in the United States, and uh, we will uh, help them, of course, with the process of the transfer of remains to Mexico. Today in Chicano Park, people were gathering to remember the lives lost. Until there's humane immigration policies, these people will risk it all. Enrique Morones is executive director of Gente Unida, which is a human rights border coalition. We're going to continue to the pressure that the investigation be clear about what happened. We know that the first instinct is uh, you know, to start blaming people. We don't want to blame people. We want to find out what happened so it never happens again. A federal team from the National Transportation Safety Board is also investigating the crash, and a CHP spokesperson says at this point the semi-truck driver is not suspected of any wrongdoing. And that was KPBS's Matt Hoffman. Although Legoland remains closed, Feeding San Diego got good use out of their parking lot for a food distribution event on Wednesday. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more. Feeding San Diego volunteers were ready to distribute food to North County households. The drive through food distribution took place at Legoland California Resort, which is currently closed. We actually reached out to Feeding San Diego initially because we wanted to um, do something for our own staff. We've got over a thousand staff that have been on furlough for, for the best part of 12 months now. President of Legoland, Kurt Stocks, has seen how the hospitality industry has been hit by the pandemic and saw this as an opportunity to help his workers and the community. Today there's been 12,000 cars come through and uh, get some much needed food. Although Legoland remains closed, Stocks added that recruitment information for Legoland's reopening phase was also given to people that attended the food distribution. Feeding San Diego says they have seen a 50% increase in people facing hunger in San Diego County. Even as the vaccines roll out and people return to work, they anticipate the continuing need for the food distributions that hundreds of cars line up for. And that was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. 
Coming up, the COVID-19 lockdowns last year hit right on the opening day of the San Diego Latino Film Festival. We'll have an update on this year's San Diego Latino Film Festival coming up next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Last year, the 27th annual Latino Film Festival had to cancel its in-person event on its opening day. That was following Governor Gavin Newsom's ban on large public gatherings. It was the first San Diego Film Festival to have to cancel because of COVID-19. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando spoke with the festival's founder and executive director Ethan Vontilo about the past year and the upcoming 28th Latino Film Festival. Ethan... A year ago, the San Diego Latino Film Festival was the first San Diego film festival that had to cancel their event. And you guys had to cancel it like on your opening night. (laughs) Now it's a year later and you guys are completely online for this year's event. What does it feel like? Yeah, I, I seem to remember you and I having our one of our first Zoom meetings ever, interviews ever. We were, we were both learning how to use Zoom about a year ago. Um, yeah, and it was just right after we uh, had to uh, postpone the film festival. You know, for me, as the founder of the San Diego Latino Film Festival, uh, one of my commitments to the community since day one is been the idea of you never not hold the event. You always hold the event, the screening. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if people understand that in me, but in terms of my passion and my focus, you know, you always find that print, even if it's not the exact print, you're going to, you know, you're going to screen it in Blu-ray or digital, you're going to screen that movie no matter what. So for me to actually have to not hold a festival for the first time in 27 years uh, was devastating. It was just emotionally draining, uh, physically draining. Our staff as well, you know, just kind of went through it. Everyone kind of, there was this grieving process, right? Which I think is the grieving process that everyone's been going through this past year. Uh, It's been a challenging year. Uh, 500,000 people have lost their lives due to COVID here in the U.S., uh, but just you know the loss of jobs, the uh, entertainment industry, artists, filmmakers, uh, film festivals trying to survive is you know it's just been incredibly difficult. So we had to postpone the film festival. Um, but thankfully, the support of the community has has been there um, this past year. Uh, we had an individual donor campaign where people could donate and support our organization. Uh, our staff has just been incredible, uh, just pivoted quickly to a virtual format. So we've uh, immediately uh, started screening movies uh, uh, digitally, virtually with our Digital Gym Cinema. And then our educational program, uh, we Im- immediately were able to do our Saturday Team Producers class uh, virtually. Uh, but yeah, but not without its difficulties and challenges like all of us. You have been able to expand a little bit in terms of what the festival is able to do because you're doing virtual screenings, but you are also taking advantage of our San Diego drive-in. 
Yeah, lucky us. You know, we have beautiful weather here in San Diego, and we have these wonderful drive-in um, experiences that already exist. And so our opening night, March 11th, is going to be at the South Bay Drive-In. We're so excited to you know see the movies on the big screen. Uh, we're actually taking over two screens at the at the drive-in, so you'll have a chance to see the classic movie Zoot Suit. Uh, that's the seven o'clock screening. It's the 40th anniversary of Zoot Suit. And then after that, the nine o'clock screening is a Frontera Filmmaker Shorts program. So it's supporting local filmmakers. Uh, and then on the next screening, we're screening La Odisea de los Giles, which stars Ricardo Darín, an Argentine film. And uh, Ricardo Darín has been a, a fan favorite of our film festival. And then after that, we're screening Frontera Filmmakers documentaries, short documentaries. Uh, so yeah, I just imagine if you're a local filmmaker and to go out to the drive-in and see your movie on the big screen, I'm really excited about that. To me, it's, that's fantastic. And it goes back to the, you know, why we created the organization in the beginning, right? Is to support local filmmakers, to support young Latino filmmakers in particular. And so to see their movies on the big screen is going to be uh, fantastic. And then on March 20th, doing something a little different, we're going to kind of create our own pop-up uh, drive-in experience at Westfield Mission Valley Mall on Saturday, March 20th. So we're going to put a huge 50-foot screen. Uh, it's the parking lot just kind of west of the Target there in the parking lot. Uh, we'll have live entertainment. Kimba Light's going to play some salsa before bringing a little bit of our Sonido Latino um, experience to the festival. And then, yeah, we're going to screen another Argentine film, El Retiro, which is a nice uh, family-friendly movie, sweet, heartwarming film that everyone should enjoy. So, yeah. Opening night and then kind of closing weekend, it will both be driving experiences and everything else will be virtual. You mentioned that you're going to have some live music. Your event in the past has always been about a lot of in-person things, whether it's food and drink and music and discussions after the films. So how has that been like trying to recreate that in a mostly virtual environment? You know, I think that's been one of the toughest, uh, toughest things for us to do. Uh, you know, it's that in-person environment and celebration of culture and cinema, food, art, music. You know, that, that's been made, that made the festival so interesting. And, and you're running from one auditorium to the next to try to get into the film on time. And then you see an actor and people are taking photos on the red carpet. So, you know, that experience we do miss. And we miss seeing, of course, our attendees in person and talking about the films and opening up the catalog and stuff. But that said, as you know, we postponed the last year's festival and we had it in uh, September. And one of the exciting things that did happen during the festival was these virtual live streams, you know, and the, the, the ability to connect with filmmakers from all over the world. You know, they were in Europe and then South America, Mexico. It's just incredible to get them on one screen and have that dialogue. And so I do believe uh, one positive thing this past year is learning how to have these uh, live streams, these, this communication, the dialogues. Because, you know, again, it's not the same thing, but you still feel that sense of connection with the filmmakers, which I think they they so badly need it, too. They want to see their work out there and they want to discuss their films. So I think we had close to 70 hours of uh, live stream Q&As this past festival. And so that's going to continue, too. So after the movies, I encourage everyone. It's nightly. There's going to be two to three Q&As every every night. So please enjoy those Q&As. Get onto YouTube, Facebook and check out the Q&As with the filmmakers. It's pretty fascinating. And what have been the financial challenges of all this? So how has it been trying to adapt to this kind of new environment where selling in-person tickets is not really the main source of your income? 
Yeah, so our organization is built upon earned income, and, and it was something that we were, you know, really good at over the years, whether it's registration fees for our youth media and tech camps, or ticket sales from our film festival, ticket sales from the digital gym, earned income from our video production services, everything except for the video production services that just just went down completely. Um, you know, we've lost over close to $500,000 uh, in our annual budget this past year, which is just incredible that we're still standing and talking to you right now and that we're going to have a film festival but thanks to uh, federal support uh, PPP loans city support state support we're still able to provide the programming uh, and, and, we, and we we're very strong I feel we're very confident we're very strong and the organization is going to do fine but it's definitely this period without earned income it's, it's been pretty dramatic for the organization it has been devastating, but thankfully, uh, individual support, foundation support, we've been allowed to kind of, you know, keep going, uh, keep our core staff, uh, and then, you know, we're excited to, uh, you know, in the fall of 2021, we'll move into a new space, and hopefully by then, everyone will have their vaccinations and feel more comfortable, and we'll be able to do some in-person events as well. And that was Ethan Von Tilo, founder and executive director of the Latino Film Festival, speaking with KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.